Welcome to the latest episode of High Output AI, where Tom and Elliot talk AI and the tools and technologies that make AI happen. Let's go with the drum roll. Give me a drum roll. Hello, and welcome to another episode, episode 20 of the High Output AI podcast. Welcome to all our new subscribers. Welcome to all our new listeners across all the new platforms. And welcome, Elliot. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. Now, the question on everyone's lips is, what are you drinking? Uh, look, I'm going to be straight with you, dear listeners. I may have had, like, a few too many of my <laughs> my beers last night, so uh, I'm taking it easy today. I've got I got nothing. Uh, oh, and I'm going to hit the gym after this, so I don't want to crack a beer too early. Yeah, that's, uh, everyone cares more you? about your health, don't worry. Uh, I'm drinking leftover tea, so it's a bit of a failure on the, uh, literally, I, I just couldn't be bothered. Um, it's early here, so. Yeah, um, fair enough. It's now, Tom, uh, not, tell a good, us, not a good day on the drink front for us. Where are you, uh, where are you gracing us from today? I'm in London. I'm in London for the final, nice. the final London recorded uh, podcast. I arrived back in the country in like what five days' time. So exciting! Next time you see our faces, we'll be, unless you're my mum, will be us being recorded together. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say even in that case, your mum's unlikely to see my face before then. So our faces I mean. as a collective. That, uh, <laughs> true, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, still holds, still holds. Um, so let's get into it, mate. The new format we uh, gave yeah. a go last week. I had a lot of fun doing it last week, and uh, so did the internet apparently, because we now have uh, many more people joining us today, according to the to the analytics and the stats. So we're now yes. every single platform. Um, but the real reason probably people joined was the new intro music you made. So, oh uh, yeah, that was. That was definitely it. That was definitely it. And look, folks, uh, if you're joining us on audio only, thanks for subscribing. It's great to have you listen. If you're on YouTube and you haven't already subscribed, please do. Uh, And either way, check out a bunch of other content that we've got up on our YouTube channel uh, beyond just the podcast. So you can find that at the moment by searching for uh, High Output AI on YouTube and we should come right up. But we've got so many topics this week. So shall we... uh, Shall we yeah. sink right into it? Big week. It's a big week. So we'll kick off with a little bit of some model news and what's happening in the world in the model world um, and before jumping around a bit. But first off, uh, first on the docket today is Dali removed their wait list finally. So it was always their plan to, but the big question on everyone's lips is, Elliot, have you managed to play around with it yet? No. And I probably won't, to be honest. I, well, I'll, I'll give it a go, but um, you like they removed the wait list, but they still got the credit system and you still yeah. got to pay after a certain amount of credits and things like that. How many credits um, do you get? Do you know? It's, it's like 15 or so. Um, I know you get more in the first month as well. I can't, I can't remember. I haven't signed up to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I really can't help but think that like mid journey and, and stable diffusion really rocked the boat on this. Like even if Dali is, five ten percent better uh it seems like a stretch to me that you would pay but just i don't know i think this is uh 
this is a good example of why competition is great in this space. It's more models, more people releasing models means these, you know, weird business practices of waitlists and all that other stuff is uh, hopefully going to become a thing of the past. It's uh, crazy. I, I, it seems like they just even see it coming. These other these other models they came out of nowhere. It happened so quickly. I felt like there was a two week period where we're talking about there's a new model out this week. There's a new model out this week. Yeah, no, that's very true. They do, they, and I mean, even the stuff further along this list, we've got a ton that have come out in this last week as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a hard time for for releasing new models for sure. But uh, look, for anyone that hadn't had a chance to play with this or maybe doesn't have the hardware to be running Stable Diffusion on their own machine, this is a good chance to to play around and and see how some of these models work. Well, uh. Yeah, and talk us talk us through those requirements a little bit. Um, is uh, is this something most people can play around with, or are the hardware requirements on this too uh, too onerous? So Dali itself, uh, it's fully hosted. I don't know if they've okay. even released a copy of the weights. Um, so anyone can have a go there. Use the free credits. I think it's one credit per prompt. So you may yeah. go through those credits pretty damn quickly if you're Ooh, messing around. Especially early. Yeah. Yeah, but look, have a look at uh, some of the Stable Diffusion stuff or the Mid-Journey stuff because that's free and gives you a pretty good feel about how these models work. Have you found um, prompts to be fairly similar across models? So, like, had, or is there, have you seen across anyone testing something like that? If you gave the same prompt to all three models, would they come out with very different outputs? Or? Yeah, I have seen some people do that with some short basic prompts just to have a look at the sort of stylistic differences. What is becoming more and more apparent is that to get these uh, text-to-image-based models to produce really good images, you have to create quite long and complex prompts. Uh, and I haven't seen anybody try and, I guess, generate a very similar image across these models and look at what sort of prompts would be needed to get there across each. Um, but look, that'd be an interesting piece of work. Maybe, uh, maybe a good idea for a stream in the future is to just run that experiment. Yeah. So uh, watch this space, folks. We'll see if that uh, that can happen down the line. Uh, anything else to add there uh, that I've missed for you on Dali? I know you put this one on the topic. So. No, not too much. I think, uh, look, as, as we said pretty quickly early on, this was always their plan. The wait list was a temporary thing until they got up to scale. Uh, but I am sure that that was accelerated based on these other models coming out and driving the internet crazy. It's, uh, but what I've, you know, I've, from the, I guess, startup point of view, this sort of first mover, second mover advantage type idea that people talk about. Yes, stable diffusion and mid journey have really like absorbed a lot of the users that Dali might've originally had. But I'll tell you what, whenever you see somebody talk about stable diffusion or mid journey, it's always as a free self-runnable version of Dali 2. Yeah. So Dali has, you know, D Dali 2 has definitely, you know, done the the title claiming of yeah, they, this sort of idea. They have uh, claimed the position number one in the consumer's mind to quote yes. 22 yeah. laws of immutable laws of marketing or whatever it is. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. yeah good, good. Well, let's move on to our next one because we've got a lot to get through. So uh, we've Facebook's released a new paper this week called Make a Video, which is a text-to-image uh, to video-based model, correct? Uh, it's brand new. They've only released the paper and a few, Im a few example images out of it, but it's exciting. 
uh, the world of text to video is coming very, very quickly. A um, couple of questions on this from me is, uh, when can we expect to see it? How does it work? And uh, is there anything that uh, we can compare it to out there at the moment? Yeah, great question. So I think this one, given that there's just a few hard-coded uh, examples on the release page, I think this one, similar to the original DALI announcement, it's a bit of a land grab, which is, hey, look, we did this thing. We were yep. first. Everybody turned to us looking at it. Um, I couldn't find a set of source code. I couldn't find the weights anywhere, which is a bummer. Uh, they might come out. Who knows? I mean, I find that a lot of these models that come out of these big tech shops tend to not be released uh, in that same way. There is a wait list, unfortunately, that you can sign up for. Um, but in my search on this, I saw another very similar text-to-video model. Um, and to give people a bit of clarification here, it's sort of like an animated GIF. Uh, so you put a text prompt in and it'll create a, I think it's a one minute or two minute video. Um, I don't know what the frame rate is. I, I actually didn't look into it that deeply um, based off that prompt. Um, there's another one which is hosted at a URL called Fanaki Video. Fanaki, P-H-E, it'll be in the show notes, um, which is another version of this. So I think this is probably something that a lot of people have been working on. It makes a lot of sense as the sort of logical yeah. next step from these text-to-image based models. Um, and I think down the line, we should probably do a bit of a deep dive into you know, what makes the text-to-image work and then how does that extend it into the video setup. Um, but it's cool. I think more of this text-to-blah is going to be very cool. Um, and... Yeah, I'm excited to see where it leads. Uh, from the paper, could you discern if there's any major mechanics difference between text-to-image models, or is it, or is it uh, for, from a layman's point of view, just like stapling images together into a moving picture? Yeah, look at the very high like block diagram level. It's still text gets embedded, that gets turned into a frame, uh, and then yep. the frame, the next frame in the video is sort of, okay, we'll take the embedded text and the previous frame uh, and then generate another frame after that and then yeah. repeat that sort of ad nauseum. Um, from what I, and that's at an extremely high level. Um, but we're going to, let's go into, let's make a video on this. We can dive yeah. into this and, and go into a bit more detail. Um, no, like looking looking through it as well, it looked like it was, uh, so it, it, the like quality comparison for our audit people on audio at the moment was imagining like a GIF of Seinfeld, uh, where it's taken from the 90s where the frame rate and the uh, quality is lower and it's a little bit uh, jacky and jointed, disjointed. So, uh, But you could still have the optionality from all the examples to have different backgrounds. You could have a cat flying in a Superman coat uh, in a Monet form if you wanted to, it seemed like. So it looks like it's got a lot of the flexibility of the stables and the, um, and the dollies. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm very excited to not have to make shorts anymore and we can just tell Facebook to make shorts for us. Yes. Well, look, if any, if any of these groups ever does end up releasing a, uh, a model of this, we'll definitely play around with it. Mm. Um, uh, for, uh, yeah, I, I try and chase down a, a version of code and models whenever we can. Um, yeah. but unfortunately not everyone's as forthcoming with that, but that's all good. It's okay. Someone will make a competitor soon if they put a waitlist up. If the waitlist is too long, um, exactly. Mo 
moving on, still in the text to moving image world, uh, some, a group called Dream Fusion, which has some deep mind affiliations from what I could gather, uh, has made a text to 3D generation model. Um, so they've basically been able to uh, make something where you put text prompts in and it looks like one of those like 3D product shots from the 90s. Um, as you said, uh, it looks a bit like, the models look a bit like Play-Doh. I thought that was a technical term when I saw your note and was looking around for what you meant by Play-Doh, but no, you actually meant it looks like Play-Doh, which I agree with. But yeah, so another text to uh, moving image, uh, moving picture model. What's happening? Yeah. There? Yeah. So the, I mean, this was a very cool one. As you say, it's uh, uh, mainly a team from, from Google and then uh, one from UC Berkeley. Um, and it's a text to 3d model, uh, model, 3d model, model, uh, using 2d diffusion. Uh, and from what I can tell, the way that it works is that it generates a number of different, uh, 2d images around, uh, structure, around depth, around some materials properties. Uh, and then uses that information to then render it back into a 3D model. And if you capture that from enough different angles, uh, you can then get a 3D model uh, from that, which is yeah, very, very cool. I think we talked about in a couple of episodes back, you know, when are we going to get text to metaverse compatible? Uh, as, as stupid as the metaverse is, um, you know, text to video game type stuff. You know, you can imagine uh, video games in the future uh, including some of this stuff. And I think that would be very cool to start bringing this in and, and really, I guess, let people's imaginations run wild. I imagine though, like I haven't played with this model either. Uh, I did, uh, I did ask these, uh, the team here for uh, their plans to release the codes and the weights and, but I didn't hear back. People don't like to get back to me about that for some reason, <laughs> but anyway, um, I imagine this is pretty slow. I don't think this is going to be like real time. You know, if you were, yeah, um, playing this in an online game, you'd probably be waiting a little while, but I'm sure it'll get faster. And it's awesome. I mean, think about, you know, last week we talked about that Blender plugin for textures. Yeah. Uh, you're pretty soon, I'm sure, going to start to be able to describe objects, what they look like, position them in a 3D scene and get some really cool interactive stuff that yeah. just goes beyond the 2D stuff we see today. And I am so excited for that. I think that's going to be amazing. The models reminded me, the quality that they were producing reminded me of like when I first started my engineering degree and we made models and then you'd make a little video at the end of it. Um, yeah. On, in like Revit or uh, yeah, in Revit. It reminded me of the quality of like that, which was 10 years ago. Um, so it's just amazing to like think about what, what, what they'll look like. If they're already at that level, what they'll look like in five years. Like the way they did, like the way they had the shadows playing around on it, it, was, like, it looked really mm -hmm. good. Yeah, look, I think they have done pretty well there. There's some, you know, that, that Play-Doh effect that I was talking about. And there's one example in there, which is like a low poly crab model. Mm. Uh, low poly meaning low polygon, uh, for those that don't yeah. play around in 3D world. You know, think PlayStation 1 graphics, where everything was sort of oblong stuck together. Yeah. But because of the way this model works, even that low poly model, certainly looks more triangulated and more low poly. It feels very smooth, uh, which really, you know, removes the aesthetic of, of something low poly, but that doesn't take away from this paper. It just goes to show that, you know, running that 
output through a mesh simplification and a little bit of tidy up, you're probably going to get really good results out of that. Uh, and it goes to say that you know, we shouldn't leave all of that nonsense to the AI. We, we know how to clean up meshes. We know how to reduce triangles, simplify meshes. We've been doing it for years you know, to make video games run at, at reasonable frame weights. Uh, and yeah, something like that, I think added on top as post-processing, the outputs here could be pretty cool and pretty usable. Well, like this is literally version one of it as well, which is just, exactly. uh, yeah. Whether we're on version 10,000 in two years time, it'll look <laughs> incredible. Yes. Um, and okay. And keeping on the, uh, uh, moving pictures, uh, uh, picture bag wagon, MM Lab out of Nanyang Tech has released something called Vtunify this week, uh, which basically takes a model and transfers it into a portrait of different styles. You can have it a, a so it, it, it takes a portrait video and turns it into different styles. So we have different like caricatures, different cartoons of, uh, of someone. So imagine if you're getting filmed as, a, as an interview, like if I'm getting filmed right now, where I'm sitting there and I'm talking, um, and it would just suddenly turn it on, uh, turn it into a cartoon or a caricature. So it was pretty cool. Some of the characters looked a bit demonic and a little bit funny, but uh, it's a pretty interesting concept. Um, and we'll probably, uh, I'm very excited to see how this will like increase the output for uh, animators as well. Um, it looked like it leveraged StyleGam, which came out in a video a few years back. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, talk us through this, Elliot. How does this is a, once again another cool development in the uh, in the video-based space this week? Yeah, definitely. So a few things that caught my eye about this. Uh, number one, uh, it was I saw it because it was part of the SIGGRAPH Asia um, submission. So SIGGRAPH is like a big old school, but but increasingly more AI. Um, graphics, video processing, computer, uh, vision conference. Uh, and a lot of, you know, like Pixar will submit things to their, that conference. And you just see some fantastic videos coming out of that every year. So, uh, that caught my eye immediately. As you say, this is sort of a, an iteration on style GAN. What I think is cool here, uh, number one is that the model and the weights are available. Uh, so I will be playing around with this, uh, at some point, but what, I thought was cool was how it can blend styles. Um, so there's an example on the homepage, which you can find in the show notes where uh, there's a video, I think of a news reporter talking initially, and they blend between two different styles. One is a picture of Wreck-It Ralph and one is a picture of uh, some blonde lady. I have no idea where that's from, um, but it frame by frame, it says, okay, shift from Wreck-It Ralph style to this other style and, and sort of interpolate between them. Uh, and as you say, the video does certainly look demonic, but that smooth interpolation between styles, I think is very cool. Um, they've got some examples from uh, Arcane, that League of Legends TV show that that's out on Netflix and certainly a lot of uh, Pixar and Disney type styles, yeah. uh, which I think is nice. But uh, look, I haven't seen how quick it is. Um, that's one of the experimenters that I wanted to run was, you know, could you do this? Yeah. Maybe not real time, but, you know, real time enough that, you know, maybe you could do two second delayed stream uh, and still have this playing because um, 
yeah, there's this whole world out there, one that I honestly, I'll admit up front, I really don't know that much about, but this whole like VTuber world where it's sort of 3D models, motion capture, uh, and then streaming that motion capture into uh, YouTube or Twitch or wherever else. Yeah. Um, and I can see this becoming sort of a light version of that um, if it can run fast enough, but I really don't know. Yeah, well... Well, uh, episode 30 will stream as a cartoon if it's fast enough once Ellie's played around with it. <laughs> yeah, if it works. No promises. Well, that's boring. That's the end of the video world, but now we'll just jump into one little quick update on the uh, image world. So uh, off the back of us talking about Getty Images banning AI-generated images last week, there's a new company that I came across this week called Stock AI. Uh, that launched this week, and they are the first AI-only generated stock photography. Um, however, the way I came across them was someone was like, I've signed up for stock AI, and if you type in the word Disney, all you get is Disney images, which are definitely a breach of copyright with Disney. So, and I played around with it as well, and I, I typed in, like, uh, I typed in Pepsi, and just definitely got copyright issues of Pepsi and things like that. So, um, this is opening up an interesting bunch, uh, an, an interesting couple of questions for this space as well. Um, and basically everyone's like, how is this place not going to get the pantsuit off them? Yeah, I mean, th this comes back again to that topic we had a few weeks ago around uh, is training your model on publicly available yet potentially not correctly licensed images fair use? Um, you know, if I, as an artist, look at a bunch of Disney images and draw them and I get really good at drawing, is that copyright infringement under the current ruling? No, but there is something in my gut that says these models probably are at a level of recreation and regurgitation that might cross that line. Um, but we'll see, you know, OpenAI did make that submission to the, the U.S. Uh, Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, around whether this should be considered fair use. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I haven't looked into that um, since we last talked about it. I'll uh, I'll do a check if there's any update on that, actually. Yeah, well, um, quickly check now. Get Billy Bob to check. Um, <laughs> yeah, mythical his producer. His name is Billy Bob, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, I think the other, the, the interesting thing here, right, is that, like, if if the ruling goes the wrong way, the traceability for data within all these models won't be nearly good enough to be able to just pull that out, right? Like it's going to have to, re it's going to have to result in just like manual, manual interventions in the, uh, in the database and retraining of everything. Yeah. 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 hundred um, percent. Yeah. Similar to what we saw with uh, Copilot on GitHub and, and code licensing there. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be a going to be a tough one, uh, and it'll be an interesting couple of years, no doubt, with uh, back and forth on that. Um, mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. I can't find anything on this USPTO thing with my two-second Billy Bob search, so uh, yeah, we'll save that one for a future episode. No worries. Well, let's move. Uh, let's move out of the world of, uh, world of software models into a little bit of hardware news. So. Uh, not too much this week, um, not too many major launches, but uh, NVIDIA this week I saw has come, uh, came across, uh, has launched a cloud SaaS, uh, a cloud SaaS uh, business for Metaverse creators and teams. And I quote, 
Individuals and teams can experience in one click the ability to design and collaborate on 3D workflows without the need for any local compute. So this is, uh, in my view, the first step towards uh, major professions compute, just going to the cloud and being pulled away from local. Yeah, yeah. I um, I saw something similar, which was uh, around, and it, it may be linked in this uh, same post, but around sort of industrial applications. So, you know, big computational fluid dynamic sims and things being shifted to the cloud and people getting kind of annoyed and not wanting to get charged cloud subscription prices when they can just buy a GPU for themselves. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. I mean, for entry level stuff, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you can run your copy of uh, Revit or whatever else in the cloud and on your, you know, your Chromebook or whatever, um, that's cool. And that is definitely helpful. But I think as long as I don't lock people into that as the only option, I mean, Adobe, kind of got slammed for this and moving everything to a subscription and, and yeah. deprecating all the sort of creative cloud licenses. Um, it makes more money for them, certainly. So it's probably the way it's going to go, but it's an annoying trend in my mind. Yeah. If you think about like the cost of a GPU per individual as, as well, like it's pretty, it should be a pretty cheap subscription theoretically. Yeah, you would, you would think so. I mean, and, and look, if, if they do it right, let's let's take the AI example. Like if I could just say, here's my code, run it on a GPU mm. somewhere. I have a GPU lease that I have and I always know that it's going to be a newer model of the GPU. Uh, and once a new model gets released, it, it's yeah. the new one. That's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There'd have to be a lot of boxes ticked for that to work. I can see, I mean, NVIDIA, I know this is a topic later on the on the list, but if we jump ahead, like <laughs> NVIDIA is probably going to have a rough, uh, you know, few quarters ahead of it, um, just with new players coming in, the flooding of GPUs after all the crypto stuff stopped yeah. doing mining. I mean, Bitcoin still does, but they were on ASICs forever. Um, so I can see this as a way for them to try and innovate, potentially try and uh, regulate supply of GPUs a little bit because if most people are using cloud GPUs, then they can circulate less other GPUs and keep that market uh, priced a little higher. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels like a strange move to me. It feels like a like big move in the mid market um, with mm. consumers that are like the consumers that are really going to care are still going to be purchasing the GPUs because they're going to want it locally. Um, yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll discuss more in the video soon. But uh, AMD this week, uh, last week released. Uh, we talked about it uh, vaguely last week. Um, the Ryzen seven hundred CPU. It's major haul overhaul since twenty seventeen, powered by the Zen four architecture. And I'm saying all words. I don't really know what I'm talking about here. It's all marketing uh, talk, anyway. Yeah. But uh, what I thought was interesting, I know it's a CPU, but uh, the price point, especially compared to NVIDIA's recent GPU re releases, coming in at $300 at the low end, $700 at the high end. I assume that's USD. And they made the cooling backwards compatible for their previous CPUs as well. So uh, people mm. are happy with it, it seems. So new CPUs coming our way. But I also thought this would be a good opportunity, Elliot, for you to explain to me what happens when it, like, can you get much kick in your AI uh, model performance by changing your CPU. My understanding is 
you'd like to see maybe marginal benefits on the side. Yeah, like sometimes. I mean, a lot of inference these days happens on on GPU still, but for those that are on the CPU, you know, sometimes CPUs will release new sort of optimized instructions or streamlined instructions, which sort of, you know, might do a addition multiply on four floats at a time rather than one, um, yeah. which for like big models can give you a bit of a speed up. Um, and then, use all the cores on it or something at the same time rather than... Yeah, just a, just a little bit more throughput per clock cycle um, at the end of the day. But, you know, I you might get a little bit of a gain, but if you're in a situation where you're running AI models on the CPU, you're probably not in a time-sensitive application and you're, you know, a 10% change to a 40-second uh, runtime if it's just something you're leaving happening in the background. Probably doesn't matter that much. Yeah, especially if you use NVIDIA's new cloud service. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Now, Intel's got some new GPUs as well. Talk us through that, mate. Yeah, so, I mean, after our conversation last week where I said, I don't know who the other G- major GPU launches are. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, I know about AMD, and, and uh, but Intel released a bunch of desktop GPUs, or they announced a, a bunch of them at... Uh, I don't know if they have a name for for their big announcement seminars, but it looks pretty interesting. I mean, they've obviously done integrated graphics for a long time uh, in you know the laptop world and things like that to allow you to just you know have some graphical output without a, a discrete GPU. Uh, but these are desktop GPUs um, designed for gaming. You can uh, you know there's a, a picture on the website. Uh, that says you know, they got 16 gig of RAM. They've got these things called X cores. Um, so rather than sort of are they the like CUDA equivalents of NVIDIA? Yeah, so it's it's like a vague thing that just makes it a pain in the ass to compare these things. Um, so we'll have to wait till some actual benchmarking comes out to see how good they are. Um, but from uh, what I could see before, they're pretty cheap. They're like a few hundred bucks um, compared to you know the two thousand or so dollars that the new NVIDIA cards are expected to be. So. That, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, how useful they'll be for AI, I don't know. When they come out, you know, maybe we'll pick one up and uh, give it a bit of a side-by-side test on, uh, on some yeah. AI tasks. But, but look, more competition, I think, drives prices down. It's better for consumers and ultimately drives a bit of innovation in this space, which I think is, is needed. Yeah. Seems very, uh, very gaming-focused, these GPUs. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, jumping over into the science, the world of science as well. Not a huge week, but uh, not a huge week. But I did find one interesting paper this week where such a such a clickbaity headline, but it was scientists reduce one hundred thousand equations to four uh, with using using uh, using AI. So basically, the some scientists out of I think it was Columbia, can't remember. Um, uh, used were modeling electron movements and they were modeling how two electrons interact. And, uh, if there's any particle physicists out me, they're probably just going to just give this explanation or, uh, or put it in the comments. Um, uh, but when it, uh, electrons interact, um, they end up in this like quantum entangled place where like one's position will affect the future position of the other one. And so you kind of end up with this like huge bifurcating set of equations where to determine where the position of an electron could be because 
where one could be could then determine where one could potentially be in the future, which would then potentially affect where the other one could potentially be in the future and so on and so forth. And basically this like spins out this huge, uh, what I assume is a matrix called a renormalization group, which keeps tracks of all the different possible outcomes. Uh, and it can be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Uh, and it is heavily dependent on input parameters. And what these scientists did, uh, and each of these, like, imagine each of the, like, cells within the matrix has uh, the Hubbard equation in it, which in itself is actually quite a simple equation. But uh, what, the, what they did was they asked, okay, knowing this input, what are the important, what are the most likely, they asked the, uh, their models to highlight what was most likely to be the more important um I'll say cells within the matrix during this process. And they are able to reduce these renormalization groups from like hundreds of about a hundred thousand equations to like the four most important and the most likely of where it was going to be. So you didn't need to solve every single equation to figure out where it was going to be, which is, uh, seems to be pretty cool. Uh, and pretty big steps for, for this, um, cause it reduced the like time to be able to like figure out where an electron could be by quite a fair bit. The other interesting thing as well is uh, where this could have applications in is the world of neuroscience. And what it could help yeah. us do is understand where centers of the brain are likely to be important when considering about how electrons and neurons are firing and flowing. So uh, what excites me about this and why I care about this stuff is that I'm just really excited to see AI being applied in helping us do fundamental research. Um, it's one yeah. of the spaces that we could learn things that we had no had no idea expect to, to expect to learn. Yeah, and this 100%. could, like, for example, completely change how electron particle movements are considered. Definitely, I mean, it, this definitely reminds me of some of the topics we've covered in uh, previous weeks about uh, finding out how many variables there were in equations. Uh, and what was it, the Piranha problem? Just looking yeah. for the sort of most strongly contributing factors in uh, a number of these models. And I think yeah. you're right here. You know, AI, as we've seen with things like uh, AlphaFold and things like that, there is a lot of work in AI correctly predicting stuff and outputting things that seem feasible. But this work seems quite cool in that it's actually helping refine more fundamental models of the world. Uh, and that gives us a lot more discriminative power than just saying, I have a magical machine that if you put these parameters in, it'll tell you where the electrons are. This says, okay, I can give you some equations that'll allow you to predict how this behavior is going to happen. And you can then use those equations any which way you want to, which yeah. I think is, is very awesome. Yeah. And it's also just like helping humans hone in on the correct answer rather than expecting something magical to give you the magical answer. Um, it's well, saying yeah, like, yeah. It, and it's, uh, yeah. And you know what? I love teamwork, love a bit of teamwork. So good job, AI and scientists. Good job, teamwork. <laughs> okay. So, um, and now into our bucket of other stories from this week. Yes. So a couple of different things here. Let's kick into the NVIDIA, uh, NVIDIA, uh, singers. We were just talking about that. So I came across an article this week called NVIDIA in the Valley which is by a uh, website called uh, Strat Stratagery, which is a it's really cool website. If you, we've mentioned it a couple of times on the show already. Um, 
they wrote the original piece on why they thought Whole Foods was being bought by Amazon, which uh, we talked about in episode 17. Um, mm-hmm. But basically the crux of this article is NVIDIA is in a really bad spot for shareholders. Uh, if you're a company, if you're a publicly traded company and someone says you're in the valley, they, it's generally not a good thing. Uh, but NVIDIA has been under attack recently in the last couple of quarters. We've talked about this a few times. So Ethereum switched to proof of stake and it's rendered like millions of GPUs uh, useless overnight. So they're flooded onto the secondhand market. Uh, they've also caused their own inventory problems as well because they uh, ramped up production for uh, the COVID bubble and it COVID bubble slightly pops, so demand's off. So they've got all this, it, they've got all these uh, brand new 3000 series sitting there. And at the same time, they tried to uh, release their new 4000 series as well with uh, mediocre response, I'll say at the minimum. So uh, people are a little bit worried and they're about them. And the other thing that worries people is not only do they have these, I'll say like supply and sales issues, which they'll eventually work through, but they seem to be making quite a big bet on the Omniverse and ray tracing um, as a as a company. And these are areas that people aren't 100% sure on, um, which is fine. They're allowed to make bets. In fact, bets is how they are. Bets is how they got there, where they got to, because they took a bet on GPUs and gamers in the, originally. But people are saying that the Omniverse is still too far away. There's still a lot to be done. And ray tracing just isn't delivering. It's been it's been the like it's been the promise for the last decade in gaming. This ray tracing and it just hasn't really delivered. So um, the other attack front on uh, front that they're being attacked on as well is Nvidia is losing big customers, and by that I mean they're losing Apple's and they're losing uh, Facebook's and they're losing uh, Amazon's as they go and make their own silicon for the first time. They're seeing all this money accrue to the chip makers and they're not liking it. So it's a good article. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think ray tracing, if they can crack it, has a really good chance of of doing some pretty awesome stuff. I remember one of the early, you know, programming projects that I did uh, in sort of first year uni was building a little ray tracer uh, in C++ of all things. It certainly wasn't GPU powered, but uh, it's one of those problems where like, it's really easy to solve the problem, but the hard thing is to do it quickly. And if you're trying to ray trace, you know, a game, uh, the real problem is doing it quickly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, as it, as it relates to uh, Apple and Google and everyone else making their own silicon, I think NVIDIA really does have to make a decision as to whether they are going to reposition themselves as silicon design and manufacture experts and try and license and help, you know, a lot of these other companies produce their new silicon, you know, the same way that it was once Intel inside uh, all these machines, it may be NVIDIA inside all of these chips, which are then inside all of these machines. Um, Because I'm sure there's a lot of interesting IP and, uh, knowledge and economies of scale that they already have um, that they could use to assist these other players. Um, but that's a bold move and it would cannibalize some of their existing business, which I think is going to make it very hard for them to justify internally. Yeah. There's a YouTuber that we've followed that up on the show notes. Um, and 
does some great deep dives into everything NVIDIA and AMD and Intel that comes out in this space. And um, they were mentioning how NVIDIA is gearing itself up to be more of a platform play in the future rather than just a pure hardware provider. So they work with the Omniverse, they work with their cloud service providers. Uh, and uh, this cloud service offering is setting them up to have a much more direct interaction with um, with the people, with the end users, rather than just telling them a bit of uh, a hunk of metal at silicon. And these are the kind of bets that made NVIDIA the company they are. They made big bets in places that people didn't think were that lucrative and that valuable, and it paid off. But the big question is, can this happen a second time in their history as a company? And uh, yeah. they also worry that they're starting to uh, forget about their core users, which is gamers, and they're starting to move away from them and move more towards this omniverse and data center world. And what will that do to their company? What is the omniverse? Uh, the omniverse is the like multiverse, but I think it's like, uh, sorry, the metaverse, but they didn't want to call it the metaverse. And it's like a combination of your, it's a combination of your sitting at your desk and you're like, experiencing things in a more visual way than normal or it's uh rather than like simply immersed in it like the metaverse it's like omni-channel marketing right where it's like i'm kind of in person i'm kind of digital at the same time oh man all these fucking marketing buzzwords yeah. um, there's also a good chance when you said omniverse i'm like why have i been saying omniverse i could have just uh <laughs> i could have just been meaning to say metaverse the entire time there's a good chance that that's some some verse <laughs> Yeah, one Thunder. of the verses. It could be the universe. Yeah. They're, just, they're making bets on the universe. They're taking over. Yeah, uh, good. And then uh, next next little thing I came across this week was uh, there's a little research group, a little research group, a re- uh, bit of research come out of a uh, out of the UK with something called Echonet, which performs sonography for uh, left ventricle function testing in the heart. And uh, they created a deep learning model that measured the, uh, that measured this uh, from echocardiograms, and they were able to show a substantial change. Uh, sorry, a uh, substantial improvement compared to humans assessed LV functions, and uh, from sixteen percent to about thirty uh, percent improvement. And that improvement was uh, sorry, I've stuffed up that metric. Uh, what? The deep mind was able to do was thirty percent of their uh, were not thirty uh, percent did not need any human intervention, whereas in a, uh, humans about sixteen uh, percent did. So they were able to improve this. Uh, this and what's good about this is um, it's not going to take sonographers' jobs, but what it will allow the uh, sonographers to do is to one do many more LV function tests. Uh, and increase the frequency of LV function testing for high-risk people, which is good because heart disease is the biggest killer in the world. And this is uh, this test for a specific type of part of the heart disease world. So it's a cool model to be released, and hopefully we'll be seeing it. Uh, we'll be seeing it in use soon, helping our sonographers. Very cool. That is, uh, that is a nice little application there. It's like a, they look like they uh, did a lot of work with the training uh, data set as well. Lots of look like very highly labeled uh, cases and with uh, 
with uh, I think something you would have uh, appreciated having. How many prostates do you reckon you've labelled in your time? Uh, too many, too many. Especially given that I'm not a radiologist, uh, and I should say, like, my labels are not used in production. Uh, they're just used to test ideas. But uh, I feel like I'm pretty good at, at reading prostate MRI, despite not being a radiologist these days, which is never a skill I thought I would have. Uh, well, here I am uh, being a podcaster as well, so didn't think that would happen. Yeah, anyway, no, no, folks. Um, so uh, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was uh, learning a language by talking to AI. It's something you call. Yeah, you look, it's, it, it, it's cool in that it's a cool idea. Uh, if you have a go with it, it's a bit hit and miss. Um, but basically, it's a a website where you can pick a language and you can talk to it. It'll understand what you're saying. It'll talk back. Uh, and I guess for people learning languages, it gives you a chance to practice conversation, which I found was often the hardest thing to practice. You, know, you could say sentences and things, but, uh, you know, telling the wall that you need to turn left and then go 400 meters and then turn right at the post office really doesn't mean anything if you, you know, mispronounce post office and screw the whole thing up. Um, but look, I think it's a cool idea. Um, if you've had a look at our open AI whisper video, you can sort of see how, uh, using the translate mode in that you could throw something like this together, a little bit of text to speech to go back the other way and, and build something quite cool. But, uh, yeah, I like to see this stuff come up. I like to see people taking these models and building actual stuff with it because at the end of the day, folks, and I'm sure you've, you've caught on this, uh, trend in our podcast by now, it's. It's not the AI that's cool. It's what it enables us to do. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm excited for the day that Duolingo has got the uh, pronunciation yeah, I mean, feature in it. Early, pronunciation AI uh, in it. I don't know if you remember this, but like early, early Duolingo did have a uh, speaking component and it would analyze the sounds and try and uh, grade you on that, but then it just went away. Yeah. Well, Louis Von Ahn is like, one of the, I'll say like pioneering people within this space as well. Right. Because he, he, he created mm. capture, which is like all the training sets are like ML, but like all of the, all the training. Is yeah. Like these days it is for, definitely for those capture images. Yeah. Where pick yeah, yeah. So if folks don't know that, you know, when you're being told to look at this image and pick the sidewalks or the palm trees or whatever else, uh, you are 100% helping label that image for a uh, big data set somewhere. Um, so when you're asked to calculate the electrical <laughs> function to prove yes, that you're not a robot. To this echocardiogram <laughs> and uh, diagnose this patient. And if you get it wrong, you're a robot. And if you get it right, you might also be a robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard world, folks. Yeah. Um, and the other cool thing I came across this week was... I, the guy, I came across a YouTube video of a guy designing the perfect keyboard with AI. So he took a data set of, um, I think it was a wiki two data set mm -hmm. that you mentioned last week where it was, um, uh, he got it off Kaggle and it was like, you know, 365,000 words or something. And he determined the distance between keys and, uh, gave it, gave, gave himself five, uh, eight fingers and two thumbs and said, right. <laughs> 
what is the most optimal keyboard I can make to write these 365,000 words? And he called it the, and he came up with the rest line keyboard, which is an ode to uh, the wheel of fortune starting letters, because basically you ended up with all of the vowels on the middle set where, you know, ASDF is, all of it was just vowels. And then there was like R, S and T in that as well, because the middle line was the yeah. shortest distance. Um, but then he started to do other things as well. And it was like, okay, what would be the optimal keyboard for writing JavaScript? Um, and it was like a normal key. It was basically like the rest line keyboard, but uh, instead of where the, the R was, there it was a C because apparently you have to write class and uh, you have to use start a lot of words in Java with C a lot. And then also the semicolon was just in the middle because you're semicolon at the end of every line. Um, he then also did it for like things like what if you were typing with two fingers i.e on your phone uh what would the keyboard look like um so yeah it's a really cool video I, I think it also is like a really good uh visual explanation of how like a genetic algorithm yeah, works nice. as well um and uh seeing yeah so really well produced um and uh just a cool little application of like how you can use ai to uh calculate some things so Check it out. Very good. Awesome. Um, wow. Yeah, we, we did. It, yeah, I thought this was good. 48 minutes. Oh, the last little thing I put on here, uh, we did mention Is Stadia Dead in our last podcast last week, and uh, Google announced yeah. it's it's done. No more game streaming from Google. Did you, did you say it ahead of that or like – like it hadn't officially been announced. I don't know how we even got onto it, but for some reason I think we thought it was dead and it turns out we were right. Um, but yeah, look, I, it never got the popularity that I think Google would have needed to keep that going. Um, but I, I don't think that yeah. means that streaming games is dead. I just think Google was probably not the most sensible provider of this. Like Sony will probably yeah. do it. And do you think so? Yeah, right. Like it's more, it's definitely like it's more, more designed for like more, more applicable for like console. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. Streaming. Exactly. Like, yeah, they, they spent a lot of time trying to pack hardware into uh, games consoles and they get quite expensive and it's quite a difficult thing to do. And if you could, yeah, just stream it. If you live somewhere with the internet connection that's good enough, might as well. Yeah. Yeah. And especially as like these hardware developers move towards making more money from the actual games themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're more incentivized to like produce better games, which and not be bottled. Yeah, definitely. Hardware. I mean, I'm, the Sony PlayStation 5 uh, was, I mean, pandemic had a big part of this, but like it was really hard to get. They were very expensive. I'm sure if they could charge a bit more for games or a game subscription and give everybody a PS5 to connect to, you know, PlayStation cloud powered by NVIDIA cloud powered by Intel powered by whatever, uh, they would do it. Absolutely. Like it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for Google to do it. it it's not, it's a weird brand choice, but as a tech demo and a feasibility, yeah. uh, absolutely. And, you know, I am sure that yeah. Google is out there now that Stadia was shut down saying to groups like Sony and others, look, it didn't make sense for us to do this, but if you want to do it, 
Google Cloud is a pretty good place to do this because we have proof that it works. Yeah. So yeah, it may be worth it after all. So, you heard it here first last week that Stadia was dead before uh, <laughs> before it came out, and Elliot's just made the next his next prediction accidentally again, which is Stadia will be the first. I, I think they have it for for PlayStation uh, already. It's not available here in Australia, but you can get it in the US um, and stream some content. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know how good it is. I mean, Steam has been doing it for a while, where you could stream your own device to another device. Um, and because you're within the network, it, it's yeah. okay. And for a lot of stuff, it'll be fine. But if you're playing like Call of Duty and you're introducing like a second and a half of input latency, um, you're probably not going to do very well. But yeah. Were they, were they like working on something to like, if like, if, to show that if that like rather than just accept that lag, well, like obviously they were running up to latency issues, like full stop, which is like an actual speed limit on mm. the universe kind of problem. Were they working on something to like readjust it so you're like you didn't feel the lag, but like from a like computational and graphic point of view, like yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a very cool area. If anybody in the audience is nerdy enough to like be into this stuff as well, um, just to sort of frame prediction work and the way that sort of games are synchronized, uh, especially these sort of fast-paced multiplayer games. Um, so locally, there'll be some prediction of future state. Every now and again, that'll get synchronized back with the actual state. Um, and yeah, it's very cool. It's like a very cool engineering problem. Um, you're basically yeah, trying to predict the future. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this is why, you know, like in old school, you know, if you're playing World of Warcraft and stuff back in the day before everybody had really good internet, you know, somebody would be walking next to you and then they just appear like 300 meters ahead because your local client was just extrapolating their current behavior and then the server eventually synchronized and was like, no, actually, they're over there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's why, you know, often if you had a crappy connection, your game would continue to do things and then just like snap to a different setting um, because it tried to yeah, keep yeah. the flow going as much as it could. But I remember in Diablo 2, countless times where you'd be like swinging and then you'd realize that whatever you were hitting's health wasn't moving <laughs> yeah. and it was making the same noise over and over again. And then you'd just, you'd count and you'd be like one Mississippi Two Mississippi, three. Oh <laughs> yeah. God, I'm dead. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. So yeah, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more than that. There's a certain amount that like people can tolerate, but uh, after a certain point, it's stuff just feels slow and that annoys people, even if they can't really pick up why. So, bring on Age of Empires four on uh, streaming on Sony PlayStation. <laughs> yes. So yeah, probably not. Um, well, man, let's, uh, let's let these yes. people get on with their lives. Let our many we'll viewers continue with their day. Look, thank you so much, folks, for uh, sticking around, listening to this episode. We hope you're loving the new format. Hope you're looking forward to in-person episode, uh, hopefully next episode, uh, but maybe the one after, depending on Tom's jet lag. Yeah. Uh, now you got to pick me up from the airport. I'm yeah, on the car in, ride but... back from the airport episode 21 yeah. uh yeah. and yeah again thanks to all our subscribers if you haven't subscribed please do uh and 
if you've got any comments, things you'd love yeah. us to talk about, Let it, pop it in the comments. We should be available on all places you stream your stream your podcast now, but if something's missing, let us know. I think we're set up. We're all on all the majors. Um, and yeah, if you we're going to have to start asking for reviews. Indeed. Like, Do all those well, nice things. Tell, tell us you like us. Validate yeah, yeah. all of our effort. Yeah. Uh, well, folks, uh, well, anything to plug other than us? No, there's no point in plugging anything other than us and the, and the, right. and the channel, mate. Oh, we hit our first, uh, what are we up to? 1.5 thousand view video, which is it a big did. deal. I think it's yeah, a big deal. That was a good one. I, I'm glad people have enjoyed that, that whisper video. Yeah. Have a look at that one. If you haven't already, I'll be doing a bit more streaming over the next few weeks. So, uh, if you do have an opportunity to drop in live, please do. Uh, I do watch the chat and we can talk about things as I'm playing around with various bits of AI. Yeah. Uh, and. Other than that, folks, go out there and, and find your hot chooks or whatever else your AI models are destined to do, and uh, we'll see you roughly same time next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.